Hello to our listeners and welcome to TNT ESQ. Along with my co-host Teresa Quinlan, I'm Rhys Thomas. We make up TNT. For those of you who don't know, TNT is our initials. Simple, right? Uh, we're here to explode the status quo. This series is all about talking with people who are helping us to think differently so we can start doing differently. Today is Bill Mathias Jr., a fellow Humans First Club member, a dad, a husband, a proliferator of thought, a superb collaborator, a seeker, and for work, he's a partnership manager for Online Learning Consortium. Reese and I are, are pretty jazzed up to welcome Bill to TNT ESQ. Thanks, Teresa. Thanks, Reese, for having me. I appreciate it. This is exciting. I listen to you every Sunday. This is amazing. <laughs> Will you listen to yourself back? Uh, some people don't like that. I don't know. I guess I'll find out on Sunday. <laughs> That's a great question. I actually never thought to ask that of a guest before. Nice question, Reese. No worries. Kind of unusual for us is predetermining a topic. And yet for today's episode, we already sort of decided how we want to springboard our conversation today. On March 12th of 2020 at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, Bill and I connected one-on-one -on -one via Zoom, strictly for the purpose of really getting to know each other better outside our Humans First Friday calls and some LinkedIn posts. And within about 30 minutes of our call, Bill shared with me a workplace model that he was working on. And I kind of got jazzed up pretty fast because it was really interesting. It sparked my curiosity. And so I added an idea and then he responded with openness and he added another idea. And what he added kind of shook up my creative juices. So I added another one and soon the pace got actually pretty fast and ideas came really furious. One plus one all of a sudden didn't equal two. We were at like a thousand. So this brings us to our topic, collaboration. What is it? How is it done? Who does it well? Why are they doing it well? What are the barriers that sometimes get in our way of collaboration? And how can we be better at that? Bill, you know, when people have sort of an obsession or a talent in what they're doing, it often can really start from somewhere specific. Were you always good at collaborating? Um, I, you know, if I look back to grade school through high school, I would say that I was probably that, I don't want to call myself a loner, but I was very focused on my studies. And so I remember walking on to Penn State Abington's campus at the time for my first day of college and saying, this is going to be different. That is when really the not being an introvert, not necessarily a full extrovert happens, but I started to engage with folks more. And, and learn from folks in a different way. I think through that, and as I kind of progressed through college, I started interacting with folks more as I took on, you know, those first jobs as a young person, you know, at 16 years old, starting out as a cart boy, and then by 17 being sort of in customer service and leaving folks that are part of a union and much older than me, um, you sort of learn to engage with folks much faster. And so I think that's where it really started. I was very much the shy person. I remember even down to third grade when we had our first Holy Communion, I was chosen to speak, which terrified me. 
terrified me. You would never think that now, and you probably wouldn't think that I'm very much an introvert, but I am. I think where the passion happens, where you get excited about things, that's where it spawns. And so that's what happened in our conversation when we started getting involved, things that we were passionate about and looking at things from a different perspective naturally started churning that and then churning that faster and then you get excited and you get involved in it. So I think that's where for me it happened is where I started to get connected into certain certain things, even into the type of music that I started to listen to. So I am a product of the rave generation, believe it or not. So you would catch me on weekends going to huge raves and parties and those are naturally inclusive environments. You're there sort of having fun and celebrating with other folks and getting to know folks from all different places. And then you start seeing them more frequently. So I think that's another sort of extension of how the sort of the collaboration started for me, at least. I know we're talking about collaboration, but for me, I was all about collaboration connection at the start of this year. You see my post, it was all everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. But recently it's changed to co-creation so i just wanted to ask both of you before we get too far down the collaboration path if you see any difference between those two similar words collaboration it seems like maybe someone has an idea and you invite someone to do it whereas co-creation is just from ground zero and you just evolve something from natural so i don't know if that's really what happened in your conversation or whether you came with something Teresa got curious about it the passion ignited one another and i mean did you actually co-create collaborate on something or is it just a, a collaborative discussion that has led us to this debate? It's very deep. Um, I, as you describe it, it was sort of a share. What was interesting was we were sharing to get to know one another, right? Which then was really based in curiosity. And I think that's a leading component. When I think of co-creation is how much of the curiosity is there. So I think as it, as it sort of unfolded, it moved in sort of this collaborative way of sort of some ideas back and forth, but then you really started to see the creation, right? So there were, I remember moments where Teresa was actually holding up things that she was essentially doodling down and then I was taking and doodling things and holding them back up. Reese, to your point, that's where we are really moving into co-creation of something where we were able to bring different vantage points in a lot of times, you know, when you, at least when I think of collaboration, you know, people were kind of working together, but they, I don't know that your passions were fully ignited. And I think that's where, when I'm thinking about the word co-creation, I'm thinking about this idea of curiosity and the ignition uh, or the igniting of passion in it, right? That excitement level. I don't know how, how you, where you're thinking, Teresa. It might not be so cut and dry, I'm thinking back to moments where I would have named something collaboration. And oftentimes that was someone saying, I have a project, would you come and collaborate on it with me? Or I have something and I've already sort of started it. This is where I'm at. What do you got? What do you think? And they're opening sort of the door for input. And they're doing that saying, I'm ready for people to contribute. And so if you come along, and you're like, I have an idea. They take it or leave it. And I think sometimes that's sort of collaboration for me means if you're going to ask, you should be taking it. Otherwise, don't ask. Co-creation for me is we're going to build something together or someone like Bill shared this idea and I'm like, that's really interesting. What about what if this reminds me of 
And whether he takes it or not was neither here nor there for me because he didn't ask. He didn't ask my input or opinion. I just said, that made me think of something. And, I, and then we had this sort of ping pong back and forth where I believe it was creative in its uh, sort of intention and in its actual work, a lot of creativity. That's how I felt. I felt like super creative in that moment. And so then I think something new was created out of it, but it, it wasn't mine. And it didn't matter to me in that moment that it was mine. And that might be maybe a clear distinction how I feel in those two differences is one is like, if you're going to ask me and I'm going to come in and give you my thoughts and my experience, you should probably take some of that. But in the interaction with Bill, I was kind of like, whatever you want to do with it, man, it's your thing. <laughs> and you said about the, the invitation, did Bill invite your ideas or did they just spontaneously happen and he latched hold of them and then it just built? I just spit them out. Like I literally, like there was no permission asking or anything, sharing <laughs> something with me. I'm like, that's really cool. It makes me think about, and that's when I literally started drawing because it was just a really creative piece that he was sharing. So no, he didn't ask. There was no permission. <laughs> so ultimately Bill is the one who walked away with ownership of the idea at the end because it was his to begin with. Yeah, perhaps absolutely. What he did, create, did co-create was this connection this ability that you guys are a really good fit, a really good team, and maybe you'll go on and do lots of other collaborating or co-creating things in the future. Have you have you had future conversations? Have you had any more, more doodling? I've been doing more doodling and more writing and more looking up of things. For me, it's real. it was really exciting to see that happening, whether or not there was sort of invoked permission or not. And, and maybe that's part of it, right? Maybe that's a component of it is whether or not there is actual permission or invoked permission, or you're just there fully present in the moment. I didn't come to, I don't even think I came to the call to even share that, to be honest with you. It was just part of the dialogue that happened. And maybe we were creating in that path or maybe things just aligned in that, in that moment to, to share it. Because frankly, you're the first person I shared it with. Too, which was really interesting after only being on the phone with you for moments, right? Mm -hmm. I think it comes back down to areas of passion or areas that you know or you have experienced or sort of naturally connected in a way. And I think that's part of collaboration, but I, to a co-creation component, I, that's kind of that next level part to it. Mm -hmm. What have you done with that idea since... Uh, what was it, March the 12th, 11 a.m.? Part of the premise is based on this idea of transformation. And for me, transformation is really about cellular level. So really have organizations truly transformed. But the idea is to take a combination of things and bring it together. The areas that we're bringing together are our traditional views of organizational hierarchies combined with the concentric circles that we're familiar with that Simon Sinek has discussed, the why, the how, the what. Plus, and it's going to sound a little bit out there, and I think this is what kind of spawned it, the universe. So things like our solar system and how it functions from a gravitational standpoint in an orbit standpoint and how things can interact. And then to take a needle and thread to that and thread it throughout from the why, from the center where that sun may reside, all the way out to the what, and then all the way back in. So essentially you stitch it in. 
it is this constant, flexible, scalable, adaptable environment that is unto itself, yet at the same part is part of a larger galaxy standpoint, but also has their own specific universes that would be specific to a team that perhaps Teresa's on and then ultimately specific to Teresa, right? And everything that's in the mix and how all that comes together. It's complex when you start to be like, how does all this fit together? But it's very, in my brain, it seems very sort of simple, like a natural way to have this balance between everything. One of the quotes that comes to mind is something that we often say to our team members as leaders, which is, you don't work for me, I work for you. Mm. In the traditional sense of a hierarchy, I can't visually see that. In the sense that I can take and put my employees very close to the center of why and build out to the leadership standpoint, I can start to see how that would function because I can see that my leader is circling around the why. Everything's coming back in and everything comes out. So it has this natural flow. So that is what I'm working on. The goal of that is ultimately to drive remarkable, sustained, connected results, um, which is essentially your ROI that you're looking for, but also to have this connection between the individual and a global ecosystem which essentially is what we look for, which is meaningful work and value. That's probably much better said than when we originally had our conversation, Teresa. <laughs> you see, because we're all looking at each other while we're on this sort of Zoom recording of our conversation, but are in listening to it, you can hear why the conceptualization of what he had already worked on was so exciting because there was a specific analogy. So he was able to provide an analogy towards things I already knew how they worked. Like I understand cells and I understand the planet and orbits of the planets and I understand organization businesses and how they run. And so providing that type of analogy sucked me into the vortex of what he was talking about and being able to say, what if the thread could be pulled taut? Like you could pull the thread so you can bring things closer to your center when you need people to focus on change. And then sometimes you can sort of let that thread go and let people sort of do their own thing for a while when you're not in that sort of buckle down sort of business mode and, and they can risk a little bit more and fail a little bit more. That was the first piece I added to. And he's like, I never thought about pulling the string or letting the string go. And that snowballed. When we think about what makes collaboration work and how do people have to show up for collaboration to work or co-creation to work. I think Bill demonstrated to the highest degree possible that I have generally seen within people who do it really well is he went, oh, I never thought about that. And then he said, and that's reminding me of or making me think of. So we use sort of the first rule of improv is, is you say yes and, and you build on the idea and see where it goes. And the next person says yes and, and builds on the idea and see where it goes. And no one says no, but they may say yes and what about, which might shift the direction within which you go. And then Bill brought in this awesome piece around diversity and diversity of thought. And I think this might be a great time for you to share around your thoughts in this capacity of how diversity might not really be all we think it might be. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting space. Um, and part of it stems from my own personal journey with mental health. So about 20 years ago, just to 
throw this into the mix, right? About 20 years ago, I was diagnosed with severe clinical depression. And I made it sort of my life's work to not let that define me and not to share it and not to limit me in my abilities. About three years ago, almost four years ago, I wound up having, my mom passed away from 10-year battle of cancer. Six months later, I was working on a project. I suffered a mini stroke at 39, which starts to make you think about everything in your world. And then things just got crazy. And I had to come to the, the realization about two years ago to disclose that to my employer. The folks that I disclosed it to were amazing. The, how about if we share this with other folks, kind of made me step back for another year before I landed into sort of the hacking HR and met Enrique and Rubio, who, you know, we decided, you know, what if we had this sort of conversation about mental health in the workplace, not knowing that that would actually happen a month later. It really has started me thinking about the ideas as mental health is large discussion topic right now, um, that diversity when we look at it, when you look at what's being stated about it or often shared, it is uncomfortable to say that it is very much shell. It is men, it is women, it is race, it is gender, it is very much shell. And oftentimes we forget to include those that have different ways of thinking or things that we can't see, right? Like mental health, we can't necessarily see, but there's tremendous strength in those individuals. It really started me in this path of, you know, what about cognitive diversity? How does that play a functional role within organizations? How do we elevate that to the conversation? How do we ensure that that is part of diversity and inclusion? And even since our conversation, really starting to dive into the words of diversity versus diverse and inclusive versus inclusion and how those words are even seemingly a little bit different. I believe that cognitive diversity is a untapped resource for us within organizations. It is that moment of pause, that moment of thinking, that what if and if this, those people that we might think throw a wrench in something that we already think is an amazing project there might be more there. I would love to see us have more conversations, not just about where we are, which is important and critical to organizations and to, to address those biases. But also, I think this mental health discussion is very much also a discussion about cognitive diversity and being truly inclusive. And I look at mental health discussions as a door opener to improving employee experience. The cognitive diversity that you're describing about is like the essence of what collaborative, what a good leadership model should look like in the, I have one idea, but I don't have the only idea. I don't have the right idea. I want to hear all of your ideas and I want to give each of them enough time for all of us to democratically discuss them. Mm -hmm. And that diversity of thought is not about a diversity of, a, these are all the differences that you've listed. At the top. It's more about a diversity of variety is that the right word maybe it's inclusivity of thought and a di cognitive diversity they're kind of pretty much the same i think in my head anyway how does that fit into your human-centered ecosystem and how and i still have to come back to this idea of the string how does the string connect all of those ideas yeah i have something that might help 
we knew that for my son, we wanted him to be in the IB International Baccalaureate program for high school because their curriculum sets them up more successfully for university. And how they approach learning, how they approach problem solving, how they work with other people are the three things that they look at to determine if you're a candidate for the IB program. They don't, they don't look at your grades. They don't look at, are you smart enough to be in the IB program? They look at how you look at, how you approach. And this is what I believe that Bill is really eloquently describing as cognitive diversity. You all three of us together, if we approach problem solving in the same way, we have very little cognitive diversity. And so our solution finding, probably won't have a whole lot of creativity to it. And, and so innovation gets a little bit stifled. And so when we think about the word diversity, the shell aspect of I've hired people who are of different race, different gender, different age, different color, is not really diversity. It doesn't create much difference sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so that shell-based, if we look and approach of how do you think about problems? How do you approach learning? How do you work with other people? If we're now assessing that all three of us do that in very different ways, now we've got diversity. Now we've got innovation. Now we've got creativity. Yeah, I think to, to relate it to a question that most people might be familiar with is a question that is sometimes asked by leaders and organizations in a hiring process, which is how many ping pong balls can fill this room? It's not about the answer. What they're really looking at is how do they approach that problem and build their process for solving it? What does that look like? There's a great example of this cognitive diversity or this diversity of thought. I think it's Rivian Automotive. They are building an electric car or SUV truck to rival that of Tesla. But they compose their team of folks that have come from extraordinarily different experiences, knowledge bases, and things along those lines to come together to really create something new and evolved, things that don't exist. We could look at it that you could have a boardroom, right? Right now, that's a hot topic. Boardrooms being diverse, being mandated by governments, that you need to have X number of this and X number of that. That doesn't mean that all seven of those don't think exactly the same way. Uh, the pandemic right now, for example, we often talk about having the best minds together working on it. It doesn't mean that they have significantly diverse minds working on it. It's great to have people that think similar together, or we often call it groupthink. I think that's the part that we really need to kind of look at. Even when we look at things like social media, the question is, is the more that I subscribe to the same hashtags as other people, the, uh, the way the algorithms are built, and this is just a question that I have for myself, is this becoming more groupthink or is this expanding my thought? What I find really interesting is that with like the Humans First Club, I find for me that it's great to be with folks that have similar ideas yet are very different. And so when we're in those environments, I never feel that my thought or description isn't valued equally to everybody else's mm -hmm. and you often see a lot of the building on like this reminds me of this this reminds me of this and i think that's where a lot of the that cognitive diversity comes and reese to your point of kind of when they come together what happens it's the it's those two ideas when they come together 
and they kind of explode up. And so they were both great on their own. When they hit together, wham. Okay, so if you want this cognitive diversity to ignite, to blossom, to cultivate that, do you select for it in the first place or do you actively train and develop and learn of it whilst they're already there? Coming from a recruitment background, I'm interested, is it a selection process or is it a training process or are you gonna come back at me with, it's both? I love the question. I guess it, that would depend on where you fall, whether or not the system's broken or not. Um, <laughs> it is also this idea, and we talk about this in leadership. So I think to your point is, it's not all going to be in selection. I believe that it exists today in the team members that we have. And the reason I say that is because in many instances, we often hear like we hire somebody because of everything they have, and then they're not really working out like we wanted them to, but they're doing what's in the job description and they're not feeling that passion and stuff. So I believe it exists. I believe people have the capacity for it and the potential for it. It's encompassed upon leadership to help guide that out, to have those conversations. And I think this is an amazing time right now with the pandemic. That excuse of time doesn't necessarily truly exist anymore that we have the opportunity to have the conversation to pull that out of folks. The world is upside down and inside out at the same time. What do we do? It leads to beginning conversation that Teresa and I were having on this idea of fluid leadership. Leadership of yesterday and today may no longer be how we approach things. Fluid leadership might be what it is. And so think about it. If you're on a team and Teresa, you're heading the team and Reese, you and I are on that same team. This week, maybe Teresa is leading that team because of what needs to happen, but she may recognize that as things shift for whatever reasons, maybe it's Reese that's got the skill set that really needs to carry that team, that ability to shift it over and still lead, but Reese sort of takes more ownership on that. That's where I think we start to release some of that potential, right? And, and, and to that idea of co-creation, now, like, I'm allowed to release it and I'm allowed to own it. So how more exciting is that for me? And that may stick with Reese for a week or two or a day or a half hour or five minutes. But that ability that that leadership can start to be more fluid, bringing that back to like kind of like a solar system thing. You have all these things that are moving in an orbit and you start to see these moments where you look up and something's seemingly just a little bit different but you're still in awe. I think the example we used is like a solar eclipse, like the things in, in perfect alignment only happen so, so often, but it's such a memorable experience. And that leads to the idea of employee experience, like how we can make this better by simply guiding and allowing people to shine through. It exists, we just really haven't allowed that to happen. Well, I love that description of fluid leadership. It reminds me that, you know, in true leadership, you don't always, you're not the one who's always at the front. And sometimes someone else has to be at the front and intentionally you do that as a leader because in the coaching element, you have to elevate people to their highest potential. You're going to need to let them lead the team sometimes, the department sometimes, whomever. That, that's really wonderful. I hope people really pay attention and maybe rewind and listen to that section again. Mm -hmm. yeah. What also came up for me when you were describing this whole thing around leadership, collaboration, was barriers. Because it made me think about, so what gets in the way of 
people working together in this way that is co-creative or collaborative. And one of the things I had thought about, and I had like a little aha moment, if I can go back five years to my time in leading a particular person, after this conversation, I would, would have done so much better. <laughs> and it is that, you know, when you hear in collaboration, someone say, I don't think that's gonna work. There's a certain element of a tolerance for disagreement that is needed in collaboration. Because if we're having cognitive diversity and we all approach from a different way, someone's gonna say something that eventually I'm gonna say, I don't think that's gonna work because I'm not looking from the same direction you are. Mm -hmm. And there are certain skills required in collaboration and one of them is a tolerance for disagreements. So I have to be okay with people saying, I don't think that's gonna work. You're like, okay, cool. What do you got? Like, how are you seeing it? Where do you see from it? But instead what sometimes happens is people hear that and they start to shut down. Mm -hmm. So we have to recognize that we have to stay open when people say that. And then we have to teach people to say, I don't think that's gonna work. And instead say things like, I'm kind of looking from this direction. I'm approaching it in this way. What if we were to, and add their ideas in that way, because that's a skill set that keeps people open to thought and movement and ping pong and the essence of collaboration is creating something new by looking at it in different ways, by tossing all ideas and information and perspectives into the pool. We can train people to do those with feedback loops of saying, I observe you doing this. What if you were to try doing it like that next time? What do you think would happen? and getting people to recognize oh there's a better way of me including to the explosion as opposed to right now what i'm throwing water on it and i'm dousing it yeah it reminds me i guess about a decade now i came to the realization of how important feedback is to me as an individual the idea of good bad or different it didn't matter so i have this notion that the blue or black screen of death terrifies me and that's probably because i grew up when there were analog systems right and you had kind of just the way the nature of the computer and technology was back then but that terrifies me not hearing either way means that i'm not able to grow and develop and so as i've progressed in my career and i've gotten in hot water for saying it right like i feedback good bad or indifferent that's important I, if you hate it come and say you hate it and let me know why and where and we can build and we can grow from it. Um, there's another phrase that I often use that it often gets me in hot water is, does this help us or does this hinder us? Like what holds us back is this emotional connection to whatever it is. I don't care either way. Like at the end of the day, my goal is not to fail the employees or not to fail the customer. If it's not functioning or it could be functioning better, great. I don't have all the answers. I don't want to have all the answers. That's not fun either. A lot of times, in sort of leadership and coaching roles, you often hear the person that comes and there's a challenge and they go off on these tangents. We just look at them as tangents. We assume it's a tangent, but we don't necessarily know. That's our projected assumption on what that person's sharing. I have found to really walk through and find out what they are sharing. What is that root problem? And then allowing them to walk through it and kind of be the guide with them and then come to the realization of, okay, what is it that we can control? And so you have to explore that. And I think to your point of, I don't think that's going to work. If we started with the next thing, okay, 
which part or where does it fall apart or this curiosity, we start to change that. Well, I don't think it's going to work. And I don't think it's going to work because we don't have this part. Like we don't know how this connects to here. You look at large project rollouts that often fail. They fail because we missed some component or we, did, or we didn't take the time to ask. We can move over those hurdles as long as we're coming into it, not having an emotional, let's say, connection to it, that we feel that this is right. It might be possible. It might not be possible. Mm. Yeah, for me, I think those two words, right and wrong, shouldn't really be included in the process. To go back to Tria's point about the boundaries and you saying just there, someone says, oh, I don't think this is right. And having that as the end point of the discussion, that should just be the, the starting point of the new discussion, like, as you just alluded to. It's, okay, so tell me why it doesn't work, how and why, and let's keep going and keep looking and not use it as a, a period or full stop, as, yeah. as you would. So I think that is, that's important and you need to have that completely clear playing field from the get-go. And I think for it, that comes down to leadership to create that thinking environment where anything is possible and everything is accessible and everything is tolerable. So our hashtag, not anymore. We're talking about collaboration. We've talked about a lot of things. Teresa, I can see how this guy, her, his mind got your creative juices flowing. I think we could carry on talking here for, for another hour at least. To sum it up, we like to get a few of you listening. What would you suggest people do so that they can actually start thinking about how collaboration can work collectively rather than just for the leader's uh, opportunity? What does collaboration mean for you moving forward? Yeah, I think, Reese, you mentioned, you mentioned the really critical word, and that's possibilities. The collabor- what is collaboration? It's about possibilities. And that's where we, need to, where we need to start looking at it in combination of recognizing that we have humans that have so much untapped that we don't know. Absolutely, yeah. Teresa? That was brilliant. Teresa just put a big uh, <laughs> OK symbol. Now she's looking up into the distance, contemplating. Yeah the perfection of this uh, whole interview. Before we go into the Q&A, Bill, tell us how people can get more of this amazing source that you've been sharing with us here. How can we find out more about you? How can we learn about the human-centered ecosystem and all the other amazing projects you So I'm working on that with a number of other things. So I'm excited about that. But LinkedIn and uh, Twitter are going to be your best ones. Uh, You can find me on Instagram too slightly different and if you're looking for laughs you can also find me on tiktok linkedin definitely the best way awesome yeah i've seen some of those videos um recommend some of them um okay right now here we go the, the bit we've all been waiting for the q a rapid fire 10 statements yes. new choices so to give the listeners a little bit of a heads up bill is a super fan and he has already prepared all his answers with all the all the working involved <laughs> he's holding up a very large sheet of paper with a lot of writing on it. I know you're ready, so let's yep. go. Uh, number one, manager or leader? Leader. Why? The only one on there that I didn't write anything down <laughs> on. <laughs> Perfect. Um, because leadership is, is really critical. Helping people move from point A to point Z via CDFM is really important to do. Um, and it's something that people have tons of untapped potential and back to the idea of collaboration. If we really want to be collaborative, if we really want to be open to possibilities, we need to do that from a leadership standpoint. Amen. Okay. Number two, active or reactive? Reactive. 
number three, a favorite of yours, black and white or gray? Go nuts. <laughs> so for me, I, so the, the little short story is I spent five hours after looking at this researching color. And so for me, it's black to white. It's full spectrum. One of the quotes I came across was it color depends on your perspective. Color only exists in the mind of the perceiver. So when you look at color from an art standpoint, white is considered the absence of color and black is considered the presence of all color. However, in science and in light, it's the opposite. And gray really isn't even involved in the view of Roy G. Biv. Furthermore, gray really appears only in red, green, blue when everything is equal. This notion that I operate in gray, it's not Everything's equal if it's gray. Nice. Uh, number four, optimist or realist? Possibilitarian. Oh my goodness. Explain. So I received this quote. And I have to give a shout out to Jeff Harmon because I was on call with him. And uh, as we described it, because I said I'm really about more of the possibilities, right? Optimism's on very positive things. Realist is kind of here. I look at it that it could be good. It could be bad. I don't know. I have no idea. And so he shared this quote from Norman Vincent Pele, become a possibilitarian, no matter how dark things seem to be or actually are, raise your sights and see the possibilities. Always see them for they're always there. And so when we think again, back to collaboration, this idea of it being about possibilities and being a leader, it being about possibilities, it's possibilitarian. It's a new word that I just learned the other day from Jeff. I love it, perfect, ties in nicely. Uh, number five, Canada or England? Interesting. England, yes, England due to the drum and bass godfather, DJ producer, Ronnie Size from Bristol. Oh, fantastic. Well, I'll take any England answer uh, on this show. Number six, heart or head? So this was a tricky one for me, but I landed on head. Uh, number seven, empathy or assertiveness? Uh, it's empathy. You care to divulge? I really relate to the definition of empathy that Chris Voss, the FBI negotiator shares, which is that empathy is as designed was simply understanding the other side and articulating it completely understanding the other side. Cool. Uh, number eight, introvert or extrovert? Introvert. And number nine, logical or emotional? Logical. And number 10, I'm thinking could be a big one as well. Innovation or process? Process. Why? So I've been looking at the definitions of them <laughs> and I come across process. I really like the idea that it's a natural phenomenon marked by gradual changes and the fact that it integrates sensory information received so that an action or response is generated. So this idea that through process, we, we do things. And I also find that process leads to innovation, the ability to ask, to collaborate, to ask questions, the possibilities that can grow from there. Process. Perfect. Thank you so much. That was a lot of fun. Teresa, have you got anything to, to add at the end though? Yes. Thank you so much. I, I picked up a, a few golden nuggets, like just the yeah. phrase cognitive diversity and looking at that is, that's a really critical piece to leadership. I love that. I think there's tremendous potential for that. If that is one thing that people take away that can help people build the dynamic environment they're looking for. Now, I do believe it will stretch people's leadership capacities. So you got to make sure you're a damn good leader to do that. It's been an absolute pleasure.
Thank you, thank Bill. You. Thank you guys so much. This has been so much fun. I'm super excited. The best way for us to find out if we are giving you, our listener, the value of your time by helping you think differently so you can do differently is if you write a review and give a rating on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on.